to uh, start. So. There's lots of people, it's always good to meet new people and catch up with old people and, I mean not old people, but you know what I mean, people that you've known a long time. Uh, old people too as well, and yeah, shout out, come on, yeah. Young and old are all welcome, so. Well, we are, uh, we're excited tonight to, uh, to have Danielle Strickland share. Um, and uh, if you've been to Resurgence uh, over the last, I would say, three or four years, would it be four? Four. Four years. Um, uh, Danielle has been a frequent uh, uh, speaker, and she's just been a friend personally to me and our team, and just uh, just really, even when she's in town and, and uh, she's free, she comes and just takes in and just is a part of this community and so it's really awesome to have her speak but um, over the last uh, few years she has lived in Edmonton uh, on uh, 95th Street 118th uh, with the Salvation Army and uh, has done an amazing work with uh, uh, prostitutes and just people that uh, nobody cares for Danielle cares for and she has a team of people that go out on a van at night and, and, and they go and care. They go to the massage parlors, all the things that um, <laughs> generally aren't done. Uh, that's Danielle's ministry. And it's, and it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, but recently, she, with the Salvation Army, she has accepted a position, I don't know, being moved, being, as the Army, they transfer you out, they, they send you. And so she, in June 17th, is moving to Los Angeles. And so we are really sad to lose her in this city, but really believe that uh, what she brings is going to be a pretty amazing to the city of L.A., to Hollywood particularly, and, and just there's a need there. There's 24 million people in that area, and uh, God's going to do something big. We really believe it. And so, Danielle, would you come before you do, and we just we want to pray over you and just uh, pray a blessing. And I just want, why don't you just come down here, why don't we just have, if you would want to just come and pray, and we're just going to have a few people lead out. I just want to pray a blessing over Danielle. So why don't you just come and surround her as a community, and we just really want to uh, just, just pray over her and speak blessing as she goes to L.A. with her family and, uh, and leaves our city. And so, yeah, thank you, Lord. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for Danielle and Stephen. We thank you that you have brought them to Edmonton for such a time as this, that her and Stephen have been a gift to this city. And we thank you for that gift. We thank you for what she has brought, for the many hours and times she has uh, pounded the pavement and been out there and, and meeting with people and caring for people and bringing hope to the hopeless and, and, and training people up and sending people out. And we just thank you. We thank you for her ministry, her ministry that's not just here, but has gone to the nations over the years where she has traveled to stadiums and arenas and preached and called people to care for those that are not being cared for. And so we thank you. We thank you for the calling on her life. We thank you that even though as she's transitioning 
physically her family. We thank you that there's also a spiritual transition. There's a shift that's happening and there's been a cry in her heart for more. And we just, we pray the more that there would be such a favor and such a release on her as she steps on the streets in LA that we pray for vision and we pray for um, just, just resource and some amazing things to happen that we would have her back in years to come and hear the stories of what you're doing in LA, how you're changing America from coast to coast, how you're sending her to the very nations to talk about what you're doing and about how they can do it too. And so, God, we thank you that she loves you so much, that she loves the Holy Spirit, that she is someone that, that believes in signs, wonders, and miracles. And God, we just pray for more, more signs, wonders, and miracles on the streets and in the stadiums and wherever she finds herself. We thank you for all that you've done in her life in this city. We bless her and honor her, but we thank you for what she's going to do in this world and in, and in L.A. particularly. Yeah, yeah, if there's a couple others that want to just lead out, please do. what you sowed into the city and as you're leading and as you're transitioning um we're we, we just say we agree right now we're going to pick up what you've left behind yeah. i just feel there's like a real like um like leaving a legacy here and it's just you are leaving like this beautiful fragrance that just sort of lingers so we agree to like through that well we will pick that up the gifts and the anointings that you've carried God, that there would just be like a double portion and a continual multiplication of that, that what Danielle has sown in is not picked up and uprooted and leaving with her. But we honor what she has sown in and will continue to carry it out. So Lord, we just receive all that she has to offer as she goes forth. And we bless you as you go forth. That Danielle, everything that we carry, um, all of the, even the anointing that's on resurgence and the call to community and connection and unity, that we just like place that on your shoulders and even stronger measure than you already carry, that you would be able to bring that in a vast like city like Los Angeles. And I just think of how like interconnected it is with like freeways and all of these different like like the complex city grid that Lord there would be like a complex grid like that. Like the network of your body would be covering the city in that kind of complex, interconnected, tightly woven kind of grid and yeah, God, we thank you that there's so much more. That there's, there's the next chapter is bigger and better. Each time, each step you take is a step that's going to make a difference. It's a step that's going to affect the world. And in LA, you're going to affect lives like you've never affected them before. But there's a new anointing on you, more than there has been before, but also new anointing in different areas, in areas that are bigger, um, areas that are going to move and be known in that. Your name means something. It has a meaning yeah. to God and on the streets and the people you yeah. touch, that your name will be known. And that's going to be part of God's blessing for where you're going, what you're doing. So God, we pray and thank you for more. Lord, I thank you that you're giving her the same path that you gave Nehemiah when he went back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You've given her permission from the king to have the timber, all the resources that, have, that she needs when she's there, Lord. The permission to go through the lands 
of the enemy and not have anybody. You're protecting her every step of the way, Lord, and I thank you for that. But I also thank you that when she gets there, you're going to allow her to walk around the city, just like Nehemiah walked around the city, to survey what is needed to be done, to do it in quietness, to know that that's what she needs to do, and then to come up with a strategy on how she's going to do what you've called her to do there, Lord. And I thank you for that. And I pray that you would just allow her to stand firm because there was three characters there that weren't Christians that kept or that weren't Jews that kept attacking the Jews as they were building the wall. You're going to know that those are the attacks that they have no authority there. That she's going to know that there's no authority there. That they're just all words. No talk. No bite. Not that's it. And she will be able to go do what you've called her to do there in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I just thank you for how you spoke so loud and clear that Jesus, before he started his ministry, that this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. And I just, uh, that you took a few Jesus and you were transfigured. And, and in the same way that you heard the Father's voice again, and we just say we hear it tonight. We say we hear it for Daniel. This is my daughter. This is Danielle, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And so I pray that as she speaks tonight, as she leaves, she would just operate just in a, in a fuller capacity from your love. Yeah. As Jesus, as you only did what the Father showed you, yeah. just let her operate in that. And as you only spoke the words the Father gave you, just let her work from that. And just yeah, just pray for, just as Paul said, it wasn't with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of power. So just give her eyes to see what you're doing around her. And I just thank you that you made her, her strong and courageous. Yeah, God, we thank you. We thank you that as she goes out, that, God, she's been faithful with small things and that you're going to give her big things. And we thank you. Thank you that there's such a trust, that you have such a trust in her, that trust. And it's and I see there's like a network that's forming, that she's even going to, that the network that she knows, but I feel like God's going to expand that. And it's even going to be like social and media. And there's something expanding in the whole area of media and social networking and all of that. And it's going to, for the cause of Christ to care uh, for the people that aren't being cared for around the world. And so God, even as she's going to LA, God, I thank you that it's not just LA, but it's a world stage and it's a world stage for social um, justice yeah. and, and yeah. just all that you put in her heart, dreams that you've put long ago, that God, that you were bringing those for her and Steve together. And there's something really special even together. And it's just, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for their family. We pray a blessing over their trip and, and their moving and their ending well here and starting well there. And so yeah. we, we thank you for her life and her ministry and her being part of this community. And we bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. So Danielle, give her a warm welcome to Danielle.
Thank you. That was pretty warm. Thank you. <laughs> Just what we needed, right? Was anyone cold before that? Now I'm all warmed up. It's very exciting. It's fantastic to be here with you guys. Just turn to someone beside you and say you're in the army now. And listen, hey, if you think of us, uh, the Crossroads uh, community, the Salvation Army there, please be praying for them, too, in the time of transition. We've got, like, a team of warriors here that are uh, believing, as I am, that what God has begun, he will finish with a, a wonderful flurry, right? It's going to be exciting. I wanted to talk to you about uh, a battle plan, really, for resurgence. I wanted to, and not specifically for your movement, but for all movements of God, how that works, and a battle plan for God's people if you're interested in revival or change or an overthrow of oppression or freedom. And I've been doing a study for years and years on the book of Exodus, actually, how, and even this question about how God's people, this happens all the time in history and all through the Bible since the beginning of time, God has called his people to be free, and they constantly come under oppression. And there is a resurgence necessary in order to bring God's people into freedom, in order to bring freedom to the earth, right? This is kind of the, the actual story of redemption since the very beginning of time. This goes on and on and on. And when we read the stories in Scripture, there are these seasons over and over again, actually. It can get a little bit boring. You know, it can get a bit familiar where it says the people of God did evil in the sight of the Lord, and then they come under oppression, and then God raises somebody up, and then there's this overthrow of oppression, and God's people get free. And then... They forget, you know, something happens, and they, they do this cycle. And I want to talk to you just three things really quickly, which is hilarious, because I never preach in threes. <laughs> it's true, because I, I revolted against my dad's preaching style. But anyway, so, but I just wanted to kick off with Judges 13, 2 to 5. This is a character, a judge, Samson. You guys know Samson? He's like Hercules, right? He's like super strong, deltoids, um, like you dream about, if you're a guy, I suppose. Awkward if you're a woman, but Judges 13, and uh, 2 to 5, it says, In those days a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife uh, was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son, so be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. And then I want you to just uh, skip down. You can read it. She just goes and tells her husband that her husband doesn't believe her, because men are like that. And then he goes out, and he's like, take me to where the angel was. And then the angel comes and says, I just listened to your wife, because God's like that. And then... <laughs> Uh, it's true, you can read it for yourself, men, if you're looking to be good husbands, listen to the Lord, um, and listen to your wife, okay, and then uh, verse 24, right at the end there, so he's born and all this kind of stuff, and it says, and he's raised, it says, when her son was born, she named him Samson, the Lord blessed him, and as he grew up, as he grew up, and the spirit of Lord began to stir him, just turn to someone beside you and say, stir, I think this is one of the key verses of scripture and a key uh, verse of scripture that helps explain one of the things that happens uh, to preempt a resurgence. So something that has to happen in order for God's people to rise up and to be the people they're supposed to be to bring freedom to the ends of the earth is the spirit of the Lord begins to stir in them. And it's a really weird thing because the spirit of the Lord stirring in you, uh, you being stirred up, you being, you know, uh, dissatisfied, you being uncomfortable, you being like awakened and irritated and just plain old grumpy, 
doesn't feel very Christian. Right? As a matter of fact, to be Christian, often you're told not to do those things. You're actually told just to be quiet already and to be peaceful already and just to be gentle already. But the opposite thing happens whenever God's going to do a move. Actually, the people of God actually become stirred inside. Something begins to move inside. And one of the things I think is so cool about the scripture is that God's really obvious that it's him stirring. It's him that does the stirring inside of us. So I want just three really quick things about an uprising, about a resurgence, about a revival, about a change in culture and a change in situations that you can maybe keep in mind as this, this move is happening. And I just also want to say, like, what a great privilege it's been to be a partner of resurgence. I really just love the spirit here and what God's doing in here. I think God's doing a new thing. Uh, I think the interdenominational blessing and unity and community that's sort of beyond denominational lines is of the Lord. And for a generation that's going to do something new and different. And I know it's new and different, so people are going to be like, what are you doing? That's not right. And just don't listen to that. Just keep listening to the Lord. And I believe he's instructing you, so keep doing that. The first thing that's really key is a, a thing of identity. And you guys have just studied this, right? According to that really short announcement. <laughs> so you guys have this identity thing going on. But this is the first thing that happens every single time. Every single time God is going to raise somebody up, he does it in this area of identity. And listen to this. This is also true. Every time an enemy wants to oppress you, he's going to attack identity. It's the area that you're going to be freed in that's going to actually liberate you to bring freedom. And it's also the area you're going to be attacked in that's going to try to uh, cause you to be oppressed. It's always about identity first. This is a fascinating thing. Samson has a, a miraculous birth. Now, all the time when God raises up a deliverer, it almost always starts at their birth. It almost always starts even before they're born. Even Moses, right? It says we had just, I was at Leadercast uh, the other day, yesterday, or sometime. And we, we got to hear an interview with Malala, who is this beautiful woman's rights, girls go to education school. She was shot by the Taliban when she was 15 years old for speaking out in Pakistan for the rights of girls to go to school. And the Taliban shot her in the forehead thinking she was uh, dead. And uh, they airbacked her to England and she miraculously lived. And instead of being silenced and fearful, she actually raised her voice even louder and got an international platform so that now she's speaking more powerfully than ever before and fearlessly for the rights of girls to get an education. It's quite profound. If you ever get a chance to read her book, I Am Malala, it's worth a read because something happens in the beginning of that book. It explains, you know, they say, how did this start for you, Malala? Like, how is it that you were born in Pakistan as a girl and you behave differently. Like every girl that's born in Pakistan doesn't usually aspire to go to school. They all aspire to get married at about 13 or 14. And their best aspirations is to marry a nice man if they could possibly find him. You know, that's, that's kind of like what they're going for. And how is it that you were raised in that same culture, but you were different than anybody else? And this is a fascinating thing in the book. Malala says, well, it actually all started the day I was born. She said, in Pakistan, when a, a girl is born... When a boy is born, the family all gather and they bring money and they throw money into the crib and they say, this is a blessing from God. They say, when a girl is born in that same culture, everybody comes with no money and they just sit around going, oh, nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, when I was born, my parents were poor, but my dad had saved every cent he had. And when his relatives came to sort of sit around and grieve with him that he had a girl, he gave them all money and he said, throw the money in the crib Malala's going to be a blessing of God. 
She said it all started then. It started with her identity. And even as a little girl, in the interview we heard she was named after a hero of the Pakistani people, a Joan of Arc type figure. And she grew up believing something that was different than everybody else. She grew up believing that her identity was purposeful. Her identity was meaningful. Now, if you remember when the Israelites were enslaved, we pick up the story in Exodus, we always forget how they got to Egypt. We always forget about that, but they, they got to Egypt as invited guests. They weren't enslaved. They weren't like dragged off from Israel into Egypt and enslaved. They walked into Egypt as men of honor, as people of honor. They were honored by the Egyptian Pharaoh because Joseph, an Israelite, was a second in command. As a matter of fact, Joseph was chosen by God to save Egypt. And then Egypt, in extension, saved Israel so that Israel might actually be a blessing like Abraham was told to the entire earth. In other words, to be an Israelite, to be a child of God, meant to be a blessing to the entire earth. That's part of your identity as an Israelite. And what happens every single time oppression gets the upper hand over the people of God is that that identity, we forget it. We forget it. Now, Joseph never forgot it. And it's a fascinating journey because he's like in prison and he's sold into slavery. And he is like literally, it's not a dream. He's living. But if you've ever seen Joseph and the Amazing, amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, anybody see that? That's an yeah, awesome yeah. play. And he's like, the children of Israel are never alone. you know. And he's singing this thing in a prison cell. And even in the scriptures, it's clear that he never forgot who he was. Even when everybody else said, even his own brothers were like, you're a jerk. You know, you think too highly of yourself. That's not even going to happen. Sold him into slavery. Even when everybody else was like, you're not going to be anything. Joseph never forgot who he was. And forgetting who you are is one of the great and easy ways to slipping under oppression. Just forgetfulness. I tell this story all the time because it's so so helpful to me. But when my son Zion started kindergarten, we lived in Australia. And, um, and he went, and uh, first day, I, when he got back home, I was like, you know, how did it go? And Zion said the same thing he said every day since. It was boring. And I said, well, what'd you do? And he said, we just shared stories about what we had done over the summer, and I was excited because we'd actually done some fun stuff. And I said, well, what did you say? And he said, well, Mom, I wanted mine to be really good. He said, so I just made mine up. I said, well, honey, what'd you say? And he said, well, you remember that time back in Canada? He said to me, do you remember that time, Mom, when I was in that big go-kart race, and in the middle of the race, my go-kart exploded and became a motorcycle? And then he said, that motorcycle went to the finish line, and they gave me that great big gold trophy. And I said, no, I don't remember. (laughs) And he just put his hand on my head, and he closed his eyes, he waited a couple minutes, and then he looked at me, and he said, Do you remember now? (laughs) You gotta remember. You gotta remember who you are. Right? You gotta remember the better story. Because, like, whether or not you're living it right now or not, or whether or not the circumstances show that this is what's happening, or whether or not you're like Joseph and thrown in prison and, and taken advantage of and falsely accused and persecuted and sold by your own family, no matter what the circumstances of your life are, never forget who you are. Yeah, yeah. Right? You are a child of God. You were born to be a blessing to the earth. Actually, that is your identity. And Samson, those words that we, we, I mean, he grew up as a Nazarite. Nazarites are, by definition, weird. I mean, literally, by definition, they're weird. That's what Nazarites are. They're meant to be that way. It's not an accident. Now, I'm part of the Salvation Army. We have the same calling. Part of our calling is to be weird. 
It literally is. And the Boos, the origins of the Salvation Army, they said, we will be a peculiar people. That's what they said. And I was like, amen. We will be a peculiar people. And there's a reason for that. Now listen, three quick things on identity. Forgetfulness, compromise, and denial. That's what keeps you oppressed. Okay, we don't have time to like dwell on that because I want to get to the advance. I'm really like attracted to freedom. So slavery sucks. That's enough for you to know. You're Malala. You are Moses. You are Samson. Do you know in Ephesians, the same verse, when God speaks to you and says, the grace and favor of God is upon you, that's the exact same uh, great that's used when the Holy Spirit, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you have received great favor and grace upon you to bear Jesus to the world. In Ephesians, it's the exact same words spoken over the people of God. If you think Mary's a big deal, you should know that you're the same big deal. Right? I don't care where you were born, how old you are, what insignificance you feel, what kind of oppression you've been living under, you are filled with grace and favor from God in order to bear Jesus on the earth. That is just a simple truth. If you could understand that truth, slavery would lose its grip. Oppression would start to get a little slippy, and you would start to unravel. Okay? Cool. Glad that's sorted. The second uh, thing about a battle plan is difference. It's holiness. Now, holiness has a bad rap. When I grew up, holiness just simply, I thought holiness just simply meant living a very boring life. <laughs> That's what I thought it meant, you know, don't touch, don't taste, don't see, don't move, don't whatever. Just, you know, don't be bad in church, whatever it was. And uh, that is not what holiness is, and it is not what holiness means. Holiness is a radical departure from normal. As a matter of fact, one of the Greek words for holiness, sorry, one of the Hebrew words for holiness, hadas, is different. That's literally what it means. In other words, God says, be different. Uh, some people at holiness circles, they say, be set apart. This is literally permission to be weird. It is. And everyone who ever did, can you name any other impressive Nazarites? You may not know them, but John the Baptist was one. And without him, there would really be no Jesus. He was a preparation. He was a person who prepared the way. I mean, literally, he was a freak. He was a sideshow. He was like, I mean, locusts and honey, really? Right? Living a prophetic lifestyle with camel hair, like in the desert, in places where you would least expect him. He was meant, it was designed for him to be different. Now listen, this is what happens. If you're different, you see things differently. If you're different, you see... So if you're the same as everybody else, the oppression that everyone else is under and the same is the same oppression you're under, but you won't know it. Because that will look normal to you. Yeah. Normal will look normal to oppress. So we're all oppressed together. We'll all be oppressed together. But something happened with Samson. And I think what happened with Samson is that he was weird. I think what happened with Samson was he was not normal. By birth, he was not normal. He had long hair. Everybody else, all the style was short. He never drank any wine. It was awkward at every social gathering. Right? He wasn't allowed to touch dead bodies. And that excluded him from a lot of public ceremonies that were important to him. And people were like, what's with that guy? That guy is weird. But what happened was the vantage point of Samson was different from everybody else. So what everybody else saw as normal, Samson saw as wrong. And this is important because if you're not set apart, if you don't have difference, if you're not a little bit abnormal then your normal is going to be the same as everybody else's normal, which is just oppression. You just won't recognize it. And you actually have to start to recognize it. The only way you're going to recognize it is by being different. 
And the old-fashioned idea is that by being holy, is by being pure, is by being set apart, is by being weird on purpose, is by saying no to dominant cultural values. Literally living a different way will give you a perspective to see things differently. This is really, really important, and it's really hard because what everybody wants to do is be normal, especially if you're Canadian. Right? We want to be normal. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to be freaks. We don't want to be losers. We don't want to be talked badly about. We don't want to be insulted. We don't want to be falsely. Like, nobody likes that. Are you kidding me? No one wants to do that. We're like nice people. Polite. We don't want to be, we don't want to shake it up. We don't want to stir it up. You know, we want to be normal. But actually, what happens is because Samson uh, knows who he is, has an identity, that doesn't forget what he's supposed to be. He's raised up to be a deliverer. That's his identity. That's who he is. Literally, from the day he was announced that he was going to be born, the Lord said he's going to rescue his people. How many times do you think his mom told him that? Yeah. Right? How many times? You know, the, the Salvation Army, the Booths, the founders of the Salvation Army used to, Catherine Booth used to tuck her children in bed every night. She'd say, good night, honey. You were born to change the world. Yeah. Every night. Every night. Good night, honey. You were born to change the world. That's a lot to live up to. But there was something ingrained in those kids. It's remarkable what they did. They, they really were world changers. And the reason they were world changers is because they had that identity deposited in them from the day they were born. That's important for you to know. As a result of that, even as young children, they were different. They were raised differently. They acted differently. They looked different. And that thing, whatever that thing is, the Lord's doing that different thing, God's calling you to difference, and you like chafe against it because you just want to be like everybody else, embrace it. Say, let's go for abnormal today. I remember somebody, I wrote a whole chapter in a book called um, Aim, or Exposing the Balance Myth. Anybody ever hear about balance? Every time I ever get interviewed, people are like, how do you balance your life? Every single time. What do you do about balance? I said, I'm like, why would I aim for balance? Balance is so overrated. Have you ever met anyone who changed the world by being balanced? <laughs> Have you ever met any scriptural person of any consequence in scripture who we could describe as balanced? Have you ever done it? I mean, what on earth could you? Now, I understand that there's ways of living in rhythms that are healthy and good. I'm not suggesting that we all go like off the deep end, but maybe a little bit off the deep end. Right? Maybe enough off the deep end that we're different. Maybe enough off the deep end that we don't look like every single body else. Maybe enough off the deep end that the Oprah Winfrey isn't my role model. You know, like maybe enough off the deep end that my house is a mess, God forbid. Maybe enough off the deep end, right? Then some people might be a little offended. Bring it on. So I say stop aiming for balance and start aiming for unbalance. It's way easier. <laughs> How do you manage balance? I say, I don't. I'm completely unbalanced. Next question. <laughs> here's, how, um, yeah, here's how this different thing happens. People, you, when you encounter God, you have this encounter with God, you don't fit anymore. And that's a struggle. That's a place that you get to that is uh, in embracing of struggle. What it, what it looks like is it looks like uncomfortableness. It, it looks like pain actually, and suffering sometimes. <laughs> and we've been convinced in the Western church, I don't know about you, but we've been convinced that suffering and pain are from the devil and need to end immediately. And any of us that encounter suffering and pain are probably just don't have enough faith. 
That is a complete lie of the enemy. Yeah. All throughout scripture and the church of church history, suffering and pain have been used by God to wake up his church. Yeah. All the time, to wake you up on the inside to the reality of who God is, to wake us up to the yeah. dissatisfaction of status quo. All throughout history and all throughout the church, suffering and pain have been redemptive forces of God. They've been gifts of God. And that's where, when you get to a place where you're so oppressed that you're in suffering and pain, guess what happens? You start to cry out to God. Every time, this happens all the time, every deliverer that God raised up, God says this, I've heard the cry of my people. I've heard the cry of my people and I'm sending you. I've heard the cry of my people and I'm sending you every time. And this is happening, if it's not your suffering and pain, it's the suffering and pain of a culture. And listen to me, God hears the cry. He hears the cry. Listen, there's... Over a thousand missing and murdered Aboriginal women and children in this nation unanswered. God's heard the cry. He's heard the cry of that in Canada. You understand? Aboriginal girls are targeted as exploitable, as marginalized, as the biggest domestic trafficking nightmare in the earth. I was just actually in someplace, another country, I was in Florida, and I was at a conference, and one of the massive church leaders came to me and said, what's going on with that Aboriginal girl issue in Canada, he said to me. How could that even be happening in your nation? I said, that's a really good point, but listen to me, that cry is being heard by the Lord, and some people are being stirred up. The Spirit of God is stirring in Canada. So in Edmonton, I don't know if you guys realize this, but in Edmonton, there was a march uh, on the court date, there was a, a, a guy that was acquitted for killing and murdering an Aboriginal woman. And uh, I don't even want to get into the details of the case, but it was such a terrible injustice. It was like a tipping point of the cry. There's always a tipping point in the cry. Uh, in Revelation, the scripture says that God takes the prayers of his saints and collects them in this massive big bowl. And then outpours the bowl and like the cries of the people the prayers of the people the tears of the people are poured out on the earth and that looks like justice you know it's this beautiful image actually of how the cry is collected and then poured out on the earth that cry is coming out of even canada do you understand it's coming out of edmonton and all through the nation there were these marches for justice let me ask you this one question where was the church where were you See, your identity is, is in this. Your identity is to be a blessing to the earth. Do you understand? Your identity is to bring freedom to the captives. Your identity, who you are, the reason why God saved you is so that you might be salvation to somebody else. Do you understand? And this is a cry that's been happening all across this nation. And this is a cry that's been happening in Edmonton. And those women matter to God. And he's heard their cry. And he comes to you and he says, this is the time. That spirit, that stirring that you feel, that's the spirit of God. Are you disturbed right now? Do you feel unsettled right now? Do you feel uncomfortable right now? That's the spirit of the Lord speaking to you. That's what it feels like to get stirred up inside of your spirit to say, where was I? When was that? Why didn't I even hear about that? How is that happening? This national awakening that's happening where Canadians, literally, I mean, when do Canadians ever do this? They're doing it right now because the cry has reached heaven. And God's saying, this has got to stop. Do you understand? For real life. This is some spiritual principle just for prosperity for your business or something like that. This is for real life. Girls are enslaved. 
institutionally sexually exploit them on the streets and the massage parlors in Edmonton. Where are you? What are you doing? Why don't you cry out? And this is what happened in Samson. When the Spirit of God begins to stir in Samson, this is what he does. This is my favorite part. Are you ready? Just turn to somebody beside you and say, it's going to be okay. Okay, I realize I get a little intense, okay? Everything, I'm not mad at you. Okay? I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. Look, I'm not even squinting anymore. I'm not mad at you. I'm happy. I'm saved and I'm free. And so are you, okay? I'm not mad at you. Don't receive any condemnation in Jesus' name, but please get stirred up. Please. <laughs> okay. This is what Samson does. He picks a fight. That's what he does. That's what he does for his whole life. All he does is he picks a fight. Everywhere he goes, he picks a fight. I mean, he does. it's not even like someone comes up to him and is like, you filthy Israelite, I'm going to you know, slap you around or something. Samson picks the fight. Every time, he's like picking the fight. Everywhere he goes, he picks a fight. He makes up reasons to fight. He literally is just like, I've got a donkey's jawbone. I think I might just kill 1,000 Israel. Like, or, uh, what are they, Philistines or something? Right? I think he's just literally picking a fight every single time. And, you know, I heard this whole sermon series about how, like, Samson's life example is really an example to us to, like, not be violent. <laughs> you know, I was like, that guy's totally wrong. <laughs> no, I'm not a big fan of violence. But I'm just, this guy, he is a fight picker. He is literally a holy shit disturber. <laughs> Now, more of you are uncomfortable. <laughs> That's the spirit of the Lord stirring you. Pay attention to that. That's good. Shake that off. He just makes up reasons to offend people. Samson has the ministry of offense. I recognize it. <laughs> it's an anointing. If there's a religious spirit in the room, I can identify it immediately. <laughs> Anyone here seen 12 Years a Slave? You know, there's that part, it's, my, it's like the most haunting, but my favorite part of 12 Years a Slave where they're on the boat and uh, he's been captured, he's been kidnapped, and he's been beaten into sort of submission and he's chained up and he's put on this boat. And they're under the under the the lower part of the boat, and the one guy comes to him and says, "You know, he's just like really strong. They're all kind of really strong guys." And he turns to him and he says, "Look at us. There's way more of us than there are of them." He says, "We could take the boat." And another guy comes up and he says, "No, no, don't. If we do it, we'll die." He says, "Just wait. Wait till we get there. Just wait. Wait till later. Just wait. Wait for a more opportune time." And this guy has to make this decision. Is he going to go with the guy that says, let's do it now. There's more of us now. Right at the beginning of this oppression, let's do it now. Let's do it right now. And he actually ends up, because he's like a reasonable man, and probably because of denial, and probably because of compromise, and probably because of, of this identity issue, he just sort of goes like, ah, oh, we should wait. We should wait. And all throughout that movie, you, know, you see this movie unfold, and oppression gets worse, and oppression gets worse. And listen to me, if you don't stop oppression, it will only grow. There's no waiting for it to end. It will only ever increase. Oppression only increases by definition. And all through that movie, the whole time, all I'm thinking is, you should have done it on the boat. You should have done it on the boat. 
as oppression gets its grip on him and he loses track of time and he kind of forgets the faces of his kids and he loses his ability even and he loses his ability even to even pretend who he is anymore and he forgets it and he has to subject himself to even more inhumane things over and oppression just grows outside of him and also grows inside of him. I just think all through that movie, I think he should have done it on the boat. And I think that about the church too. You should do it now. There is no better time than right now to shake off oppression. There is no better time than right now to say no more to the enemy. There is no better time than right now. This is the time right now to say revival needs to begin in Edmonton. This is the time right now to say, I'm going to start living a different way. This is the time to say, I'm going to embrace being abnormal, even if it means pain and suffering in my life. This is the time, right? There's Now is the time. God is eternally now. He's always present. This is the time. Today is the day. Now is the time. You look through scripture and see if you can find him talking in past tense or future tense. It's now. He's always present tense. Now is the time to be free. And I don't know what you need to shake off. And I don't know what you need to come out of agreement with. It might be an identity piece. Or it might even be this like unwillingness to be different or to be pure. It might be this desire to fit in and be like everybody else. And whatever that is, you need to shake that off. And now is the time to understand. Don't wait. And then you pick a fight. <laughs> You just pick a fight. You know, Catherine Booth, she's a forerunner, just founder of the Savish Army. She's a forerunner in women's speakers in the church and for women's equality in the world. And she used to, theoretically, she wrote this pamphlet. It was all the rage in England about women's right to preach the gospel and just kind of put, and William Booth also, she wouldn't even marry that guy until he came into agreement with the truth. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Girls, get your pens out. Don't marry the guy until he comes into agreement with the truth. Amen. And offense goes again. Okay. So she's done this, she's written this pamphlet, They're she's gotten married, and these guys are like, yes, part of the Selfish Army's calling will be to release women uh, in ministry on the planet. The Selfish Army just grows like revival fire because the Holy Spirit blessed it. Amen. And um, she's sitting in a hall, massive, thousands of people there, and Willie Booth is preaching because he's the evangelist, he's the preacher, actually, of the family. She's the writer. And she's sitting there, and the Holy Spirit speaks to her and says, it's time for you to speak. And Catherine Booth says, not me. I'm not the speaker. She says, I couldn't possibly. I'm really bad on stage. I'm quite frightened of people. I can't stand public speaking. You know, she's, and she says in her own words, I began to argue with the Holy Spirit. And I said, now is not the time. Now is not the time. And she said, finally, as I was arguing with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said to me, would you deny me? Would you deny me? And she, and this story goes that she stood up in the middle of Willie Booth's sermon and said, I have a word. <laughs> and Willie Booth was like, my wife has a word, and just sat down. <laughs> I mean, and she began to speak, and the Holy Spirit came over her when she spoke, and thousands of people were saved after thousands of people were saved, and thousands of people became holy. There were lineups to come hear her speak. And she would say she's one of the worst speakers ever. Listen, you're going to say to yourself all the time, everyone's going to say this, every world changer has, I'm not the one. And now's not the time. They're lies of oppression. They're the lies of oppression that would say, just wait for a more opportune time. Just wait until later. Don't do it right now, and you're probably not the one. you got to get your identity right, and you got to be willing to be different. And then you got to start picking a fight with the enemy. Here's three quick ways to do it. Believe God 
for provision. Can you do this? Believe God for his provision in your life, in your ministry, in your church. Believe God for his provision. The enemy works. The enemy hoards. The enemy takes. The Spirit gives. And God directs us all the time to go. You know, one of the greatest lessons that Israel learned how not to be slaves was to believe God for his provision for them in the desert. He would provide for them. He wouldn't provide for them for tomorrow. He would simply provide for them for today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can provide what you need to be obedient to him for today? Yeah. You know how many people I meet, how many Christians I meet who do not believe that? They say, well, I can't stop or I can't do this or we can't do this because we don't have enough. And people live in that spirit all the time. That's a slavery mindset. A freedom mindset is that God has enough for you for today. And that all you actually need to do is believe him for today. You don't need to figure out tomorrow. You need to figure out today. Yeah. And how he taught them this was every day they would have to go and collect their food enough for the day. Do you remember when they collected too much, what would happen? It rotted. It rotted. Enough for today. That is the strategy of all freedom fighters all over the world. Enough for today. Enough energy for today. You believe you got it? Enough energy to get up and do what you said you would do today. Enough actually desire to follow God today. Enough courage for today to tell someone about Jesus at your work. Enough just for today. You don't have to figure it out for the rest of your life. You just have to figure it out today. Enough to be sober today. Just enough for today. Can you believe God for that? Because that's what it looks like to live a free life. Just to believe him for today. To depend on him. The Sabbath is an absolute essential for the Israelites to learn what freedom looks like. Because you know who never stops working? Slaves. Slaves never stop working. Free people stop working. How much do you work? How often do you turn off your phone? Remember I asked my kid, I said, hey, Judah, you want to go to the park? And Judah looked at me and he said, with you... And your phone? <laughs> the Sabbath was essential to God. It wasn't, it wasn't some sort of religious principle that you're not allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that. It was God teaching the Israelites how to live free. It was God teaching the Israelites how to be free from tyranny of work and of oppression. It was God teaching the Israelites that their lives didn't revolve around them and how much they worked and how much they didn't work, that, that everything was a gift. It was them relinquishing control. You know, there's a beautiful little book, if you don't believe me, by Walter Brueggemann called Sabbath as Resistance. You want to bring freedom to the world? Take a Sabbath, I dare you. Talk about being different. And then the Israelites learned to advance. The best victory Samson ever had. He's a good character because he's so flawed. I've never met a great person of the Lord without flaws. It's because God chooses human people to do his work, not perfect people. Perfect people are called pharaohs, and they wear costumes, and they're worshipped. You also might know them as Christian celebrities. 
we do the same thing. The church does this all the time, or the senior pastor, or whatever it is, it's retardedness, it's just idolatry. We set people up in disguises and then we worship their power and their great successes. It's ridiculousness. God always uses insignificant, human, broken, weak, flawed people to do his work. Read your Bibles. It's all over there. Paul used to boast in it. Oh, I see, Paul said. It's actually a strategy. God wants to use weak people to display his power so that people will know it's from God and not from them. Ta-da! Right? Learn this. Please learn this and stop believing the oppression of a culture that says there's some perfect person who has it all together and has it all right. There is no such person that exists. There's only human beings who rely and depend on the Holy Spirit and with their weakness and God's strength display his power so the world could see. That's all that's going on. But the people of God, what they do, all the people of God, the freedom fighters, what they do is they're willing actually to leave it all on the field. They're willing to give their whole lives. Not just, they're not just like little, like I'll deposit a little bit and see how it goes. They're all in every time. And when the people of God are all in, when they leave it all on the field, where they're willing to give it all and give it all over to the Lord, then the Lord moves in power. It's quite profound. Jesus, of course, is the best example of all in. <laughs> Forsaking everything and giving even his own life unto death in order to bring all the kingdom of God and the freedom of God. Now, Samson foreshadows this. At the end of his life, he's chained up. He's become compromised again. He's you know, lived an immoral life, and as a result of that, he loses his power. And he's his supernatural strength, and he's chained up, and he's being mocked by the, uh, is, by the oppressors. And they have him chained up in this massive celebration, and they're having this massive celebration. They're worshiping this idol, and they have him. They've blinded him which, of course, we know is really symbolic of a lack of, lack of vision. And they've bound him. And the unbounded man has now become binded. And he's there. And he says this final prayer. It's this fascinating passage of Scripture where he says to the Lord God, just one more time. Just this last time, do it again. Do it again. Just this last time. And Samson just prays this prayer, saying, like, please, God, do it for your glory. And then he... He breaks out, out of this, and they had tied him to the temple beams, the support beams, and he breaks the beams, and the entire thing falls on everybody. And the scripture says he took out more of the enemy on that last act than in all the acts of his entire life before that. It's this massive thing. It's this incredible restoration of God's uh, calling on Samson's life. It says this is never too late, do you understand? It's never too late. You're never too compromised. You're never too wasted. You're never too broken. You're never too... It's never, ever, ever too late for God to do his original purpose with your life. But listen to this. Samson had more power when he was willing to give his love. And that is the foreshadowing of Jesus. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay his life down for his friends. That Samson would finally surrender Samson to the purposes of God's kingdom come on the earth. That he would give his life. That he would give everything that he had. That the fight in the end would be worth even his life. He was willing to give it all. So I'm not sure where God wants to speak to you tonight. It might be a word of identity. It might be a calling to weirdness. We'll call it holiness for fun. <laughs> we'll call it difference. Dare to be that way. And God's calling some of you to be set apart, to live a different way, to just like embrace it. 
financially he's going to call you to, to live a different way, where you're going to actually believe for him for today and not store up treasures on earth for you like the pagans do. Storing it up, storing it up while people are living in hunger and extreme hunger on the earth. He's going to call you to be different. A sign and a wonder, maybe to live in a desert. Can you imagine choosing a place to live that's different than all of your friends? Wouldn't that be crazy? Can you imagine being friends with people who aren't the same color as you or not from the same background as you or like not even from the same faith as you? Shock and awe. That would be a sign and a wonder. And God's calling some of you to be different and you know it. The Spirit of the Lord's stirring in you even right now. I don't want to be normal anymore. And some of you have just been plain too Canadian nice. You got to shake off your niceness and start picking some fights with them. What's breaking your heart? What's here? The cries that you're hearing? If you can join us, May 23rd, come join us. We're doing a freedom relay. We're going to walk four kilometers along 118th Avenue where we go every night and we pick up women off the street and we say, do you want to be free? And we pray for them and we say, God, it's not too late for you. God has a plan for your life and we're seeing them transformed every day on the streets of Edmonton. You know, that same weekend I'm going to be speaking to YC and there's going to be like 10, 12,000, 14,000, depends on what brochure you read. There's going to be a lot of kids... <laughs> in that stadium and they're going to be worshiping God and I'm going to say to them, you know what? What good is worshiping God if we actually don't make a difference in the world? Because this is what true worship looks like, people. Let's pick a fight with the enemy and here's an enemy I'd love to see kicked out of Canada is the exploitation and marginalization and perpetual poverty of our Aboriginal girls. That's not okay. That's got to stop. Let's pick a fight. We're just going to walk four kilometers and we're going to pray and we're going to believe for God to move. We're going to party at Eastwood Park right in the hood. And we're just going to declare, we're going to make a declaration that as a people, we're dedicating ourselves to stopping this in Canada. You want a resurgence? You want a revival? Do you want to shift the nation? Show up. Show up. Pick a fight with the enemy. I dare you. Be different. Be different. Be holy. <laughs> know who you are and why you're here. You were born to change the world. So God, we just ask right now that all of the things you've been speaking into to these guys, into resurgence, into this movement, God, that you would just pour out strategy, pour out wisdom, pour out insight, pour out energy, pour out clarity right now, pour out conviction. Just, just pour it out from your Holy Spirit. You said to ask for more. So give us more, God. Would you please stir inside of us? Would you begin to stir in us? Make us uncomfortable. Please do it, God. Make us offended. Offend us, please. Use pain if necessary to wake us up on the inside to what it is that you've called us to. Would you restore us to our identity? Why we even exist? Why we're even here? Would you help us to remember if we've forgotten? Would you please give us an urgency? Would you give us a sense of now is the time? Stop helping us to come into agreement with oppression that would say wait for later, wait for later, wait for later. We just declared a now season. Today is the day. Now is the time. And we ask God that you'd show us. <laughs> would you just show us how to be offensive to the enemy? 
Would you show us how to pick a fight? Would you give us supernatural strength that's demonstrated, demonstrated by sacrificial living? Would you help us to leave it all on the field? Pour it all out for your glory. invite you to respond. Some of you might want to um, get some ice cream. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> and some of you might want to come and pray. Some of you might want to just rededicate yourself. Some of you might want to give the Lord permission to stir in you. And so I feel like really there's probably a lot of you that need to just be like, I give you permission to make me uncomfortable. I give you permission to keep speaking to me. I give you permission to make me stirred up inside. I give you permission to knock me out of balance. <laughs> Take me out of normal. Make vanilla just simply a flavor in my coffee and not a flavor of my life. God save us from vanilla. <laughs> And if that's you, we just want to invite you to come. Somebody will pray for you, or you might just need to pray and say, like, break my heart with the things that break yours. Let me be part of this move. Uh, you, some of you have been spectating for a long time. It's time for you to get in. You're in the army now. It's time to fight. We need you. Take your time. Respond as God directs you. Thank you.